people in general think that Iraqis don't have dreams and don't have wishes and don't have the ability, like as if we don't have the potential to run companies or to do job in an accurate way. I believe that we have the potential in Iraq. We just need not tools, but we need others. Millennials, what comes to mind? Avocado toast? Lumberjack beards? Snapchat? Most of us have a very Western idea of what it means to be a millennial. But the truth is, we're all more than stereotypes. We categorize each other into neat and tidy labels because, well, it's easy. It's a way to organize cultural ideas. Our social constructs act as a way to help us understand the world. Set those stereotypes aside for a minute and ask yourself, what does life look like for the roughly 7 million millennials, men and women between the ages of 23 and 38, in Iraq? Today we're going to find out. And if your primary picture of Iraq is what you've grown up seeing on TV, you might be in for a surprise. I'm Erin Wilson, Preemptive Love Senior Field Editor in Iraq, and you're listening to the Love Anyway podcast. This is Episode 5, The Millennials of Iraq. Who are millennials anyway? Well, they're a bit of a moving target, for one thing. The Pew Research Center recently updated its definition. Their take? You're officially a millennial if you were born between the years of 1981 and 1996, finding yourself squished between Gen X and the post-millennials, sometimes known as Generation Z. That new cutoff date, 1996, is significant, especially in the U.S. American millennials are old enough to have lived through and remember 9-11. American history. A well-organized group of terrorists, as yet unidentified, hijacked four U.S. airliners with a total of 266 people on board. Two of them were flown, suicide bomb fashion, into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. The third slammed... They've known war of some kind, usually fought in distant countries, for their entire lives. My millennial friends in Iraq remember 9-11, too. They've grown up in a near-constant state of war, stretching even farther back. Only for them, war has hit much closer to home. The oldest millennials have lived through six major wars. They've experienced the fall of Saddam Hussein and the rise of ISIS. They've seen the introduction of computers and the internet in places that still don't have stable electricity. Not unlike their American counterparts, they've lived through financial collapse and the ever-widening gap between those who have much and those who have nothing. They've seen the devastating long-term consequences of war. They've had to live with the fallout from the decisions of those who came before them, and those who still hold much of the power. Recently, I sat down with four friends and colleagues, each of whom works at one of Preemptive Love's four tech hubs for refugees and vulnerable students. These friends all grew up in urban areas. They come from open-minded families. They are well-educated, highly skilled, passionate about what they do, providing tech skills and work opportunities for other young people. And they're all millennials. As I sat with them, 
laughed with them, cried with them, and listened to their stories. It struck me that they're not too different from my millennial preemptive love colleagues in the U.S. It's just the edges of their lives that are so different. My name is Jean, and I came from Duhok. Hi, so my name is Rowan Salam, and I live in Erbil. Uh, so my name is Sarah. Uh, my name is Suleiman, and I'm from Mosul. Duhok, Erbil, Mosul. These are some of the key cities in northern Iraq. All of them have been affected by war. Thousands of refugees fled to Duhok when ISIS swept across Iraq and remain in refugee camps still today. ISIS militants came within 30 minutes of Erbil, the regional capital. And Mosul, Iraq's second largest city, lay in ISIS hands for three long, devastating years. First of all, like, first the crisis happened in Mosul and then ISIS uh, invade Mosul, and then we had to run away. That's Suleiman. He's 24 years old, displaced because of the war with ISIS. And quite frankly, one of the most focused people I know. I sat down with him at our tech hub in Erbil just a couple days after he and two teammates won first place in a hackathon, a frenzied 48-hour competition where those with coding skills formed teams to solve big problems in a short amount of time. His team came up with an app that helps to solve his community's plastic waste problem. We launched our first tech hub in Iraq in 2017, as Iraqi forces were declaring victory in the war with ISIS. The idea was to provide a space where young people, many of whom have been affected by years of war, can become entrepreneurs, coders, and freelancers where they can find jobs in the digital marketplace they otherwise wouldn't be able to access, because Iraq is still largely cut off economically from the rest of the world. Suleiman teaches Ruby, an open-source programming language, at one of these tech hubs. We started our conversation with the story of how he ended up in the city where he now lives and teaches. We first uh, went to Baghdad, and then from Baghdad we came here to Erbil. And after one year... And a half, I continued my studies at University of Mosul in Kirkuk. Um, my last year was in Mosul because after Mosul liberated. So I finished my last year in college and then I moved back to Erbil. So you like it here? I like it here and I see Erbil as um, a city that has, how to say, like innovative way of life. Innovative. It describes Suleiman too. He has two speeds, full steam ahead, and like other single guys his age, sleeping. He packs every day to the brim, either creating what didn't exist before or learning how. He speaks four languages, Arabic, English, French, and some Kurdish. He also knows eight computer programming languages. I asked him how he feels about the way his generation uses technology. We can use Uh, our mobiles, not to just scroll down on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. We can publish things. We can benefit other people uh, from this technology. Also, on mobiles, you can use applications like taxi applications, delivery applications. I see technology as a tool, not as um, something that consumes time. You can use technology for good. You can use technology... For education, for, for health, for transportation, 
for economy, for everything. Instagram is my favorite because I don't use Facebook and I don't use Snapchat and I don't use other things. But I have Instagram, I have WhatsApp, of course. That's Jean talking. This wasn't the same like years ago because um, um, like years ago when I was in a high school student, there were no like such, such technology like now. Millennials in Iraq, like Jean, haven't known technology their whole lives. Former dictators like Saddam Hussein and U.S.-led sanctions against Iraq kept personal technology out of the country for nearly a generation after it was introduced in the West. Millennials here clearly remember the first time they gained access to a computer and to the world outside Iraq. Fortunately, my father bought me um, a computer back then with internet. It was the first, like the first internet, like here, and nobody is having internet. And I was a high school student, uh, so I used like to do it just for fun or just to explore what is there. And then I started, um, when I was in college, I started to use it for my projects and also for translation whenever I need it, for emailing my professors and my colleagues sometimes. But it was just like that, just emails and translation and doing some data analyzing for my projects. But after my graduation and the years next, um, I started like to be more part of my life um, because now like my whole work is on internet and computer and also my study. Jean is currently pursuing her PhD in finance and banking while working full-time at our tech hub in Dehuk in the far northwest corner of Iraq. As hard as she works, her view towards work is different from the generations that came before. I think the work has to be both. Like it has to be something you do it for living and also something you do it because you want to do it, because it's something related to your feelings and to your the way you think about people or about something specific. Yeah. It's so interesting asking you this question uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I think that in the past, having a stable job was the most important thing. The most Really, after getting married, it was the most important thing in life. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't about loving your job. It was about having a stable job. When I was like fresh graduated, and even when I was like doing my master's degree, the only way I was thinking about work was to accomplish my study and to be like a professor in the university, to have a stable job. But after that, I can say in in last three years of my life, I started to think differently because I started to read more and I started to to explore things more and I started to ask questions like, am I really happy doing this job? And the answer was, no, not really. I I need to work something else. I need to work... to to go beyond this level of working. When I sat down with Rwand, he had carved out a little time between teaching classes. 
He teaches IT and programming at our tech hub in Airbill and works closely with Suleiman, who you heard earlier. Try to describe yourself in one sentence. Hyperactive. <laughs> uh, okay, so a very, very calm energy that whenever you interact with it, it gives off a really infinite energy too. <laughs> fair. I think that's a very fair statement. Like many millennials in Iraq, Rawan speaks multiple languages. Uh, beside my language, my native language, Kurdish, I know English, I know Arabic, and I'm interme- uh, not intermediate, like uh, advanced beginner in Japanese. Most of the millennials I know here speak at least three languages. Their native language, either Arabic or Kurdish, English, and a third. But many of our tech instructors speak five or more languages. Because, uh, like, basically when you grow up in, in this generation, you have to know three main languages, which is English, uh, Kurdish, and your native language. Like, these by default, you have to know them. Rowan first started learning English as a child, in the same way most here do, through television. Uh, I think I was around uh, uh, nine. I started uh, learning language. Basically, by looking at cartoons and Nickelodeon, which unfortunately is <laughs> shut down right now. My favorite cartoon was uh, Adventure Time. Then, of course, there were reruns of his all-time favorite show when he was a bit older. Uh, Chandler. <laughs> I think it kind of represents me. <laughs> Jean is a big Friends fan, too. The character Joey is her favorite. Yeah, like every time I finish the whole 10 seasons, I start again from the season one. Because I like them very much. They are so funny. How you doing? Knowing English does so much more than open up possibilities for binge-watching sitcoms. For these millennials, fluency in English has introduced them to different cultures, different attitudes about work, and it has presented unique opportunities. If I see that I'm not going to enjoy or gain any benefit, like knowledge or friendship from it, I, I get bored of it. But when I see like uh, a good environment in the, uh, in the workplace or see that I'm doing something beneficial for the community or giving something back, I really enjoy it. Because uh, right now, if my job, if it's not sustainable, I don't care as, as much as like as long as that I, am, I love the job that I do it. And uh, I'm not looking for a sustainable job. I'm looking for something to, like an adventure. When I press publish or post on a, a YouTube video that I've been working so hard on, and like when I do that, I feel really, really accomplished. Because I know, like, the message behind it. I know there are some funny videos as well. Like, it's not only, um, it's not only like, informative videos. But in general, when I do that, I feel really accomplished. Or when I know that I've helped somebody, it just makes me super happy. It just, like, elevates me to a whole new level. It's just amazing. That's Sarah. She's a dedicated IT instructor, a gamer, a fan of house music, and a successful YouTuber. I guess I love people, love as an, I, I, I would love to see the good in people and honest, I'm, I'm super honest and like integrity as a whole, like it really matters to me. 
it matters to me a lot. Uh, and I, I would love to help people. Like when I see a problem, like I want to fix it. For like, I'm I'm very, even though like I I'm an introvert and I would rather like stay at home and watch a video or something and not interact with a lot of people. But when it comes to like problems and you know helping people, I I would really, like I would love to do that. People say if you do the job that you love, then you don't have to work your entire life. Like you don't have to work a day in your entire life. But that's not really true because you have to like you have to try your best and you have to work every single day. There will be days where you just don't want to work at all. There'll be days you absolutely love it. Some days are a grind, no matter exactly, what. Exactly, exactly. When you work as a freelancer, when you work as entrepreneur, when you work as a programmer in a company or for for a contract you don't have the this that stability uh, but in a stable job you won't learn anything at all it's just a routine you go and sit to your desk you open the laptop if you have a laptop and then you just work 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 at the end of the At the end of the, you know, at the end of the day, you just go back home and that's it. It's a common refrain across continents and cultures. For this generation, having a stable job isn't enough. Work has to have a higher meaning. It has to make a difference in the world. Like, I want to make YouTube a thing. Like, I really want to do it because um, if it had been just for, like, wanting to earn money from it, I could have done that with posting literally anything. But like, I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to, I want to make videos to help people, like literally help them. Hey, what's up everyone? So if you're a student who is recently going to attend college or you are a freshman and you have no clue what college is all about, this video is for you. I graduated from college. Um, and thank God, like some people have texted me and said that some of my videos have helped them. And I absolutely love that uh, because at the end of the day, like, I have said it before and I'll say it again. If I if I give advice or I give tips and tricks on how to do something, even if I don't follow that myself, I want other people to follow it so so that at least I make this world a better place in a way or another. We'll be right back. Greetings from the West Coast. It's Propaganda here. I am a hip-hop and spoken word artist and I am the Official artist in residence at Preemptive Love this year. Wanted to tell y'all about something I really love over here at the Preemptive Love shop, and it's the the refugee made section, specifically the soaps. I just think I just love the idea that this is a direct service. A lot of times things seem so hard to like actually make a, a difference in. Here's a phenomenal way to do it. You just buy something from a refugee. Here in LA, Homeboy Industries, you could do your Googles. But Father Greg Boyle said, nothing stops a bullet like a job. Let that sizzle in your spirit. I just think it's a brilliant way to like directly and effectively really affect change in areas that you might be passionate about. So the Refugee Made section, go check out the soap. That's my favorite. So it's preemptivelove.shop. You could put promo code PROP in there and get 20% off. Poke around, it's such dope stuff in there. And again, preemptivelove.shop, promo code prop get 20% off whatever your purchase is and I'm telling you get the soap it's amazing peace
For many millennials in the West, there seems to be two ways of thinking about your public image. You either don't care at all what people think of you, or you carefully curate an online image of how you want to be seen through photos, quips, and rants posted on social media. In Iraq, reputation matters. For many here, reputation is everything. Because Iraqis still rely on each other for so much, for protection, for getting a job, even finding a spouse, it matters that you are seen as a good, decent, reliable person, and families guard each other's reputations. This is starting to change in some parts of Iraq as more families spend time in other countries, and this change can be seen most starkly when it comes to dating and relationships. I asked Jean about it. If you are in a relationship or if you are dating someone, it has to be secretly because um, they don't accept. And um, especially like your family, uh, you will face difficulties. And if you are a girl, it's not accepted at all. Yes, true, it's changed. Like now they are more like open to it, but not very much. Arranged marriages have been the traditional way of starting families in Iraq. The thinking goes that it's your family who knows you best, and your family who should decide who would make a perfect partner for you. Uh, in the past, like um, they were um, families, they were marrying their kids together without letting them know. Um, they were just like giving them one day to meet each other, and they will say, well, you suit each other, and that is it. And if they know, like, know she or he had a relationship with another one, it will be something not accepted at all. But now, uh, when you have a relationship or when you are in, when you are dating someone and after that they come to propose to you or you say to your family, I'm going to marry this person. And if they knew you were in a relationship, they kind of accept it. But is it still like um, without um, um, leading to a marriage, the dating care, it's not accepted. Just because something isn't publicly acceptable doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It's really different for each and every person. The traditional way of doing it is a guy likes a girl and then the guy goes to the girl's family or like, and he asks for her hand and it goes from there. Um, or the guy and the girl like each other. They like, um, they date or like they tell each other and they both know and then they tell the families and then they get engaged or married and whatever. And there's another way where the family has no clue and the, the guy and the girl I don't know, they, they date and go out or maybe not. Maybe it's a secret. You don't know. Some, some of them are public, so it really depends on the, on the people. And some people just do it for fun and there's nothing like, like there's no marriage or any commitment to it. So it depends on the people. That was Sarah. In the traditional family structure, marriages happen quite young, like Pretty much anywhere in the world, life in rural areas can be brutal. The physical strength needed for farming, having and raising children, taking care of older generations, that comes with youth. And just like everywhere in the world, the shift to modern urban lifestyles means that the decision to marry and start a family comes later and later. 
dating or relationships. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like for myself, okay, for myself, I see that as a, someone special to you, like, or you care so much about, you want to get close to them and be with them most of the time. That's like how I see relationship, like a very, very close person to you. No. I don't know, not yet. I don't know because I might, I don't know what uh, will happen tomorrow. So I might be open to like friends as friends right now, but uh, not as a relationship because when I think of a relationship, when I, I want to commit to it. And right now I don't think that I can commit to it. That doesn't mean that marriage and family doesn't figure into Rowan's future plans. In fact, it's quite the opposite. In the next seven years, I would, uh, my goals are personal, are to have a house, to have my own house or, and a car maybe. I'm, I'm good with walking. <laughs> I really uh, hate transportation, especially my personal cars. So that's the thing. Like, uh, I'm trying to, like my personal goal is to provide a really happy life for someone special that I might find. To provide a really happy life for someone special that I might find. Before this episode started, if I had asked you to think about the average Iraqi your age, is that what would have come to your mind? Would you think of PhD students working on their dissertation in financial administration? What do you think of coders designing their own app to tackle the global crisis of plastic waste? People in general think that Iraqis don't have dreams and don't have wishes and don't have the ability. Like as if we don't have the potential to run companies or to do jobs in an accurate way. I believe that we have the potential in Iraq. We just need not tools, but we need others that's it. Like We do have the potential, but people are underestimating the Iraqis. And yeah, it's, it's unfortunate for us to hear that from outside Iraq. But you know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, like my dream was to go to New York because I was like, uh, I used to watch um, Home Alone movie and like it was in, in New York and I was like telling my mom, I would want, like, I want to go to New York and, uh, visit all these places there. And she said, like, study hard, work hard. And then one day you'll reach there. Yeah. So <laughs> all Iraqis have dreams. It's just the bad timing. I say this a lot, that um, Iraqis believe that their greatest resource is oil. And they've been deceived by the world because their greatest resource is you, Suleiman. And people like you, it's the people here that is the country's greatest resource. I asked my colleagues what role they see themselves playing in the future of their country. First, here's Sarah. If I do my best, not only will I be benefiting my own country, I'll be also benefiting humanity in general. Like if I'm making a video, I know I'm referring 
like that's that's how I can reach out to people, right? That's how I can probably help. If somebody from from let's say Australia watches my video and they're feeling depressed and that helps them, that means I have done something good. So it's it's not only about the country, but um, I can perhaps with like my own voice um, help help like help my country through like um, getting in touch with companies from outside or or movements from outside and then you know letting them like get into the country in a way or another for jean she feels most personally empowered when she's speaking to a large group about something she's passionate about when when i talk about such a thing in front of a big amount of people um i believe they can feel my passion and i believe they can touch the 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 desire that I am talking with because I see it in their eyes I see it in the way like they react I see it in the way they are looking at me I think I will play a role that's an intermediate between my country and the rest of the world be optimistic uh, not everything is going to be bad here like don't think about the half glass that is empty think about the other half that is uh, like full and think about like think of ways to make the other half full as well so most of the time be optimistic be energetic and think positively because not everything is going to stay the same way everything is going to go in a better way so hopefully everything is going to be fine and move on and be better it's as big as they are as well it isn't just like the dream of us just to um, to have a very traditional life just to work and um, and get married maybe have kids and that is it for some of us it's more than that and for some of us um we wish that other unknown iraqis can understand that we have dreams a big ones and um we have um abilities some of them have really great skills and nobody knows about them yeah i think we are just like we are all together if we are all the same if you look look at as a human without any nationalities we are all the same um we have our differences and we have our similarities but the way the human think is the same some of them really hope for big things others really looking for stable things so it depends on the the it depends on the the person itself it's not about where you are coming from or your nationality you loving yourself you got to love yourself okay if you don't love yourself you're gonna ruin your own life and you got to be your own best friend you got to be your own buddy and you got to lift yourself up because other people can help you do it but if you like if deep down inside you're not strong enough to like get up on your feet uh, when other people are not around you're just going to crash so um just keep in mind that if you want to make this world a better place you got to start working with yourself you got to be the best version of you and not compare yourself to anyone else be the strongest you can be and then from there on make this world a better place 
Gorjin, Suleiman, Sarah, Rwand, and the millennials of Iraq, there are plenty of legitimate reasons to feel cynical. They've seen and experienced firsthand the devastating, life-altering effects of war. But for these millennials, with big dreams and big skills to back it up, their experiences have not dampened their hope. I'm mostly optimistic. Realist. <laughs> but I'm, I'm super op- optimistic, though. I'm very, very, very optimistic. <laughs> With every part of your body, I think. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Visit this episode's show notes at preemptivelove.org slash podcast to get to know Suleiman, Jean, Sarah, and Rwand, to see their photos, listen to their favorite songs, and maybe even check out the links to their YouTube channels. In our next episode, the final episode of Season 1, you'll hear from Jessica Courtney, co-founder of Preemptive Love, as she provides a glimpse into some powerful stories of both remaking and still yearning for home. You can connect with us and learn more about what we do via at Preemptive Love on Instagram and Twitter. Use the hashtag LoveAnyway to give feedback or start a conversation. I'm Erin Wilson, and this is Love Anyway. Thanks for listening. I'm Kayla Craig, a producer with the Love Anyway podcast. You might be wondering how you can link arms with the young people you heard today. Well, here's your chance. Every session at WorkWell begins with you. As you heard in this episode, WorkWell is our tech hub where young people in Iraq who are impacted by war learn high demand skills, receive coaching, and gain access to the global digital marketplace. Through WorkWell, you can help empower those you heard today. Every gift counts. So donate now at preemptivelove.com slash jobs. That's preemptivelove.com slash jobs. And before we go, if you've connected with our episodes this season, we want to hear from you. Which stories have stood out? Which ones have made you think? Give us a call at 254-300-7328. That's 254-300-7328 to leave us a message. You can even just shoot us a text and you might hear your voice or hear your message in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. The Love Anyway podcast is written and produced by Kayla Craig, Ben Irwin, and Aaron Wilson. Skip Matheny is our digital production director. Dylan Seals is our sound engineer. Jeremy Courtney, Jessica Courtney, and Jared Prashal are executive producers. Special thanks to Jean Jamil, Rawan Salam, Suleiman Abdul Karim, and Sarah Fadhil. Featured music was provided by Sleeping at Last and Roman Candle.